seriously popular. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now the trial of the NHS nurse Lucy Letby is continuing at Manchester Crown Court. She wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for nine months. The prosecution and defence have finished outlining their cases and the jury will shortly be asked to decide whether Lucy Letby is guilty or not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is The Trial of Lucy Letby. So the jury were sent out a fortnight ago to consider their verdicts. They spent five days deliberating, but last week they were unable to continue those deliberations because one of them was absent. They all have to be together when deliberating. They can't talk about the case when any of them are missing. But they came back to court today to continue to decide whether Lucy Letby is guilty or innocent of the charges she faces. So all we can do is to carry on waiting. Welcome to episode 47, Open Justice. So Liz, the evidence in this trial has been outlined, the defence and prosecution have had their say, and so has the judge. So now it's up to the jury to come to their decisions. 
Yes, and as we explained last week, the police officers, the families of all the babies involved, the barristers and the journalists are all in or near to the court, just waiting for that moment when we're told that the jury have made up their minds. The judge, Mr Justice Goss, has told the jury they should take their time and not to feel any pressure. But we don't get much warning when they have reached their verdict, so we've got to be close by to the court at all times. Every week we've explained that we won't do anything in this podcast to put the integrity of a fair trial at risk, and that's even more important now the jury are out deliberating. So again, like last week, this week's podcast is a bit different because we can't discuss what's happened at court or recap on the evidence we've already heard. So instead, we've got another fantastic interview for you. This time, it's with Mike Dodd. He's a journalist and lawyer who spent more than 50 years in our industry before retiring a couple of years ago. He began his career as a reporter, but later trained as a lawyer and a barrister. He spent a large part of his career as the legal advisor for the Press Association. That's the main reporting agency in the UK. He advised journalists on how to report on court cases and how to challenge reporting restrictions when they're incorrectly imposed by judges. So we're really pleased that Mike Dodd has joined us formally, the legal eagle from PA, the Press Association. Hello, nice to talk to you, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello, good morning. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your career and what you did as the the day job? Yes, I started off in 1968 on a paper called the Surrey Herald, which now has been subsumed into the Surrey Advertiser Group and, of course, has disappeared from the newspaper stands, like most papers. I did six or seven years there, then moved to PA for a short time. And then I went and worked out in South Africa on a newspaper called The World, where I was a sub-editor. I left South Africa just before The World was closed, reopened shortly after, as it's now called the Sowetan. Came back, did a little bit of freelancing, and then rejoined PA on the sums desk on the all-night shift and then moved after a while to the evening shift and then after a while moved to the day shift and in the meantime did a law degree and then decided that a law degree was very nice so I went off studied for the bar and qualified as a barrister although I've never been I've never actually practiced as a barrister but I but I also did a master's degree in law as well gosh so journalist turned lawyer or lawyer turned journalist I always wanted to be a lawyer I didn't have Latin. I never managed to pass Latin O level. <laughs> right. So there you there you there you have it. Mm. And then after a fifty two year career banging various typewriters and keyboards, of course, uh, I finally decided that enough was enough, and at the age of seventy two, it was time to creep away into the darkness. But I think, like Caroline and I, who obviously think court reporting is really important, and our podcast has kind of taken a different tack on court reporting. I think you agree, don't you, that court reporting is really important for journalists and journalism? I think it's important for journalists and journalism because it's important for the public. If the public don't know what's going on in the courts, yeah. they've got mm. no idea whether justice is actually being administered or whether the system's working. Well, it's behind closed doors, isn't it, if we're not there? Yes, it is. And this, I mean, this is the trouble. There are a lot of people out there who would love for justice to be behind closed doors, especially if they're the ones who are going to be subject to it. The problem is that Liz has been dedicated to this trial for nine, ten months, not really doing very much else for the Daily Mail, apart from writing copy for the paper and (laughs) hosting, writing, producing this podcast. I'm the same. People either can't or won't pay for that, will they? 
it is very expensive to keep a, a fully qualified journalist sitting in court. One, because any reasonable publication would be paying their journalists a reasonably good sum of money because of the amount of responsibility any journalist bears, the mm. number of decisions they have to make on the hoof while sitting there in court or what, writing their copy up without reference to senior editors is quite astonishing. And the problem is that you may sit there in court for a total of six or seven hours during a day, and of course you get your lunch break in the middle, and you may only get 30, 40, 50 words out of it because yeah. it's been a very long, complex hearing, and then the judge says, oh, no, you can't report any of that till the end of the trial, in which case, you know, you've effectively, that money hasn't been wasted, but you're not going to get an immediate return on it. The difficulty with journalism is that publications these days need an almost immediate return on what they publish. One of the suggestions a lawyer put to me actually last week, funnily enough, was, you know, should this be something the MOJ, the Ministry of Justice, actually invest in, in order that the court system is more transparent? Court reporters paid for by the Ministry of Justice. No. If they're paid for by the Ministry of Justice, you will eventually get somebody at the Ministry of Justice who says, I want it written that way. Yes. I want you to report this. You're I don't right. want you to report that. Mm, yeah. Under no circumstances do we want any form of state control over court reporting. At the moment, it's really hard to get freelancers to make a living out of court reporting. So that industry has all well, but died. It, it, it is because, I mean, for example, the, the big problem and the big problem that we haven't managed to work an answer to really is the advent of the internet. The trouble is that at the times when newspapers were doing very well, journalists could do quite well out of freelance court reporting because you might have a case which would be of interest to three or four newspapers and yeah. they'd all pay you to send your report to them. Now, it appears on Google, people just cut and paste it and rip it off. They yeah. just think it's on the internet, it's free, I'll use that. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, there used to be specialist court reporting agencies. I think there's mm. only one left and that's in central London. I think all the rest of them. But, you know, there are, there are local news agencies which do court reports, but there are no longer any specialist court reporting agencies or journalists who just do nothing but sit in court and report in the hope that they're going to make freelance income. Out. I, I should shout out for Linda Ruffley at Liverpool Crown you Court at, at this stage because she is she's still there waving the flag for freelancers. She is. Well, thumbs up. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, wish, I wish her the very best of luck. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Give us some examples, Mike, of cases where you've successfully perhaps advised a journalist to stand up and, you know, take on a judge that was happy to put a restriction on where it wasn't appropriate. There was a case up in Cambridge some, it was a couple of years ago now. In fact, the judge put the restriction on and we had to go to the Court of Appeal to get it lifted because the judge refused to change his mind. But that was a rape case in which a, a young man had raped, had raped a woman and the defence stood up and suggested that it was quite possible that in naming the defendant, the media would automatically name the victim. And the judge agreed with this and said, well, in order to avoid this, of course, what I'll do is I'll make an anonymity order to say you can't name the rapist. You can't name the young man who'd actually admitted rape. Anyway, we went off to the Court of Appeal and the Court of Appeal agreed with the point I put, which was that there is a penalty for name for publishing material which, which identifies the victim of a rape or any other sexual offence. And we pay that penalty. We know it's a criminal offence to do it because you're going to end up in a criminal court being prosecuted. We do our utmost to avoid the penalty, and it's up to us to decide what we publish. You should always go for naming somebody in court rather than than anonymity whenever you possibly can. But you're right, Mike. The responsibility ought to be with the journalist and the editor. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, the Court of Appeal Appeal said that. I've only ever stood up in front of a judge once and tried to argue my case, and it's flipping frightening. When you were advising your journalists at PA, Mike, and they're really seasoned, experienced court reporters. Were they pretty good at doing that, or did you have to sort of coach them through it? I have a colleague, Brian Farmer, who's quite quite willing to stand up in front of the Lord Chief Justice and make a point. She's constantly standing up in front of judges, yeah. judges mm. in the high courts. We have lots of them who are who are quite willing to stand up in court and make the point. We do have, you know, there were a couple of others, and I and I don't blame them because I've stood up in court. And I, I can tell you, you're right. It is a terrifying Mm. experience. You have to remember something. A lot of criminal barristers don't actually know an awful lot about media law. And and the tendency to err on the side of caution and and go for a restriction is infuriating at times. Yeah, well, I mean, this happens with judges as well. Although I have to say, I I have some sympathy with judges. I'm glad I'm not having to sit there because it's the judge's responsibility to make sure that the defendant gets a fair trial. And media issues are something of a side issue. I'm sure that over your career, you saw an attempt to impose more and more restrictions on reporting. It's going on all the time. There is now an attempt to bring back anonymity for men accused of sexual offences. I'm afraid I just can't see that. We should never have anonymity for people accused of offences. One of the big arguments for any of of this, of course, is is privacy. And I, I know you wrote a sort of piece in Press Gazette before you retired about exactly this and just how far the protections around the privacy law have gone in your time. Well, one of the things, for example, with especially with sexual offences, one of the things is that once you start investigating somebody for sexual offences and it becomes known that that individual is being investigated, then it's quite possible that other, other individuals, when they, if they believe that they're actually finally going to be taken seriously, they might also come out of the woodwork and announce, yes, this person did something to me. Mm. Yeah, other victims come forward. Me. You only have to look at the Jimmy Savile case. Once it emerged 
you know, some of the things he'd been up to, suddenly people were popping up all mm. over the place saying, yes, me too, me too, me too. The police don't have a chance to do any of this if they're investigating somebody and they've got to keep it quiet. I think it's necessary in the public interest to ensure that justice is done and that crimes are properly investigated. And have you ever taken on some um, some very eminent judges, Mike? Have you, can you give us some examples of that, where you've kind of got them to either back down or take on your point of view and not put restrictions on? I can remember a county court judge, a crown court judge, rather, who, who once imposed a reporting restriction because he didn't like the intro written by a journalist, another journalist in court. And the judge then imposed a reporting restriction saying we couldn't report any of the evidence that was given until the prosecution evidence was completed. Because they didn't like the intro. <laughs> yes, because he didn't like the intro. And then he didn't. He believed, he also believed that the reporting might influence witnesses. I wrote a, a representation, I sent it in, and the judge rejected it. So I then, that afternoon, sent in an application to the Court of Appeal. And the following morning, the judge walked into court and lifted the restriction. But then not many did he lift the restriction, but he then said, I'm asking all the journalists in court not to report the evidence anyway until the prosecution case, for exactly the same reason he gave for imposing the restriction in the, in the first place. And when the reporter rang up and told me that, I said, just file your copy and file it now. What the judge is saying is he didn't have the power to make the order, but he still wants you to obey it. Well, the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. I've never heard them do that before. No. At the moment, the jury in this trial of Lucy Letby are out deliberating on their verdict, which is why we are quite restricted on the podcast on what we can now say. And I wonder whether just from a legal perspective, you can just walk our listeners through why we're having to do that and what the dangers are. The big danger with reporting any criminal case is that you're going to commit contempt of court. Mm. Now, contempt of court sounds as if you're sitting in, in the court with something rude written on your T-shirt. And in fact, somebody did want to get jailed for doing precisely that. But it doesn't actually mean that you're in contempt of the court itself. What it actually means is that you've done something, said something, or published something, which causes a serious risk that the administration of justice will, in some way or another, be derailed. And of course, once the jury has heard all the evidence, the one thing nobody can should do is try and do or say or put in front of the, any, any juror anything which might possibly taint their view of what they've seen and heard in court. Net result is that once the jury is sent out to consider, all reporting effectively stops. It's up to them to use what they've seen and heard in court to reach whatever verdict they choose to reach. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. That's all right. You're more than welcome. That's it for episode 47. As we said, Liz and I will continue to be at court waiting for the jury to reach their verdict. We've no idea how long that'll take, but we'll bring you their decision as soon as it happens. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Liz Hull. You can give us a rating and you can share the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Lucy Letby Trial, or follow me, at Radio Caroline, or send us an email at the trial of Lucy Letby at gmail.com. See you then. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com On November the 7th, 1974, someone committed a murder that shocked the world. The killer has never been found. It's the trial that never happened. Until now. Using never-seen-before documents and exclusive testimony, join us for a week-long event in which you are the jury. This is the trial of Lord Lucan. Search for the trial of Lord Lucan wherever you get your podcasts.